Well, welcome to Grace Point. If this is the first time with us today, we'd love to have you and just, just plan on being a part in every way possible. But this is a special day for our congregation. It's a day that's been a, probably about a year in the making. And uh, Jared and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, that had we known this was a year he, uh, in the making, as he transitioned from worship pastor to, uh, wor- uh, excuse me, from student pastor to worship pastor, he would have pulled his hair out and he didn't have much to pull out. And uh, so anyway, it's one of those things that it's been a, a process that we've gone through. We've looked at lots of resumes. We prayed through and interviewed lots of different people. But I want to introduce to you a, a, a candidate today, a, an individual today that I've absolutely come to, to love uh, very much in a very short time. And uh, Wade Bryant, and uh, he, Wade is a, is a student finishing up at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, he's got uh, quite, a, quite a resume for, uh, for a 24-year-old. Is that right, 24? 24. All right, 24. Oh, already You're already on, man. No, no telling jokes or anything right now okay. <laughs> or making funny noises anyway. Uh, Pine Cove uh, Camp was one of the places that he worked for a couple of years as a, as a counselor, kind of uh, one of the places he cut his teeth in student ministry, working as a camp director or working with students at the camp. And that's a great thing that he was a part of, a great camp in Texas. Also, while he was in college, he was a part of the Baptist student ministry for a couple of years. And then he's also been on the on the front end of planning a church, the Summit Church in Texas. He was on the front end of that, being a student pastor there, and has gone through the grueling task of that. And all of you who are part of the, the planning of Grace Point Church know about that grueling task. So he has experience in that startup situation, but he also has experience in a, in a, in a very large church in, in Dallas, in, in Fellowship Bible Church uh, in, in Dallas. And so we're just glad to have him as a part. But I also want to say one other thing that uh, he was recognized just re- recently as he graduates next weekend. Uh, he was recognized among the 120-something graduates from Dallas Theological Seminary. He was voted in by his professors as uh, the excellence in youth ministry student. And there's only one award given out every year, and he received it. And so his professors are acknowledging that this guy is a solid individual. Uh, Brooke Bass, his fiance, is here with him, and she's the, the prettier part of him. And so we're glad, and hopefully uh, you'll get to know them both as they'll be in all three of our services and hanging out and answer questions after the service and so forth. We had a Q&A last night with a lot of students and parents a part of that. It, it was a wonderful time. Let's take, uh, uh, let's take this opportunity to welcome Wade to the church and just uh, give him a Northwest Arkansas welcome. Oh, Wade. Thank you. Thank you. It's a cool podium you got here. Um, like you said, my name is Wade. Oh, my gosh. Wade Bryant. Yes, God. Um, and uh, I, I've prepared a message here for you guys. Uh, um, I guess you pretty much covered my background. But I, I'm going to start with just a little story of, uh, of my childhood. And uh, I don't know if you all remember your childhood. For some of you, that was so long ago, right? Um, but I remember fully just uh, the... Just how reckless I was as a kid. Um, I, I had I lived in this neighborhood where we had my friends, four friends, and we were all connected by about four or five fences. So every time we wanted to go see each other or go cause trouble, which we did a lot, um, we would just hop those fences and go over. And um, uh, what we used to do, um, because we were idiots mostly, but we used to go around. We would we would go steal some wood. Um, that most of the time didn't even match. Um, we would just grab random pieces of wood, and we were like, this would be perfect for building a treehouse, right? 
So we'd grab all these random scraps of wood, and then we would go to my dad's garage, and, and uh, we would steal some nails and hammers, and <laughs> we, would, uh, we would think that we were going to build a treehouse. So we, we did this um, multiple times. Uh, most of the time, we would start building. We'd start hammering stuff into the, the tree, uh, and then we'd get either bored or then it would look like that is not going to support us at all. So we'd move on to the next tree. Um, horrible thing. Um, the worst thing about it was, is these were not our backyards. <laughs> we, would, we would sneak into other people's backyards <laughs> and start building this. So all of a sudden people are eating dinner or just whatever. I hear this little hammer going. And they're like, that sounds really close. So a lot of times people would come out and be, what are you doing? You know, they'd come yell at us and we'd have to scram and uh, leave all their stuff there. Uh, it was all stolen anyways, so um, it didn't really matter. But uh, I think we I think we might have finished in my whole six years of um, staying a kid. Um, I think we might have finished maybe one treehouse that actually supported all of our weights, you know. But we had a lot of practice. Um, so um, more of the story is practice makes perfect. Not really. Um, but I remember that. I remember that freedom that I had, you know, just to to be able to um, to just be idiot, you know, be an idiot. Just go jump fences grab some wood, and start building a treehouse. Because even though we got in trouble and, and a lot of times we got chased off by angry um, fathers, dads coming out and uh, uh, wanting to rip our heads off, um, we could always go home. And, uh, and I could explain to my dad what happened. And um, my dad, knowing full and well that I was an idiot um, and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, um, he uh, he uh, he he kind of he he embraced me and was like, okay, let's go apologize. So he would take me, and that was really the consequence, right? You know, to to go and be embarrassed and at a, you know the front door and be like, so I was the one that wrecked your yard and built the treehouse, and I'm sorry. And you know that was it, right? I mean, none of these people like took us out back and beat us or. They didn't call the cops on us or anything like that. Um, that was our consequence. Um, and that freedom that I had to be able to go home, confess to my dad, and him to kind of take care of it, um, that was just a cool time, right? Um, but we all know that that ends <laughs> whenever you um, – a lot of times it ends a lot earlier. But um, the last time that you can kind of um, bleed everything that you can out of your parents is about that senior year in high school, right? After that, they're like, see ya. <laughs> you know, you're on your own. Um, go make some stupid choices and suffer the consequences. I'm not going to be there to take you and apologize. Um, um, and so a lot of that transition is about to happen for a lot of you, um, a lot of the seniors leaving the youth group. Um, parents, I don't know if you have older ones. Um, it's going to come um, where they are suddenly thrust into this um, place where, you know, they have freedom but they also have choices, tough choices to make. Um, and that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about today, just um, the tough choices that we have to make on a day-to-day basis. Um, and what I want to look at is, is Daniel. Um, so if you all have y'all's Bibles, go ahead and open up to Daniel 1. It's kind of where we're going to be starting. Um, but we have in Daniel just a great example of someone who was faced with tough choices, faced with tough situations, um, who had had been thrust into this situation where he had no idea what was going on. Um, it was completely out of his comfort zone. It was completely out of the realm of what he was used to. Um, but he, he made those tough choices, and the whole time 
He did it for the glory of God. He kept his faith in Christ strong. Um, and uh, so we're going to just look at that. And just background of, of Daniel, he's, he's from the kingdom of Judah, which is, uh, you know, the southern kingdom of God's chosen people, um, a, a Jewish fellow. And uh, he, uh, um, you know, they had the temple of, of, of Jerusalem. They had the temple of God where they went and worshipped. And, and uh, so um, there was this another, another power, King Nebuchadnezzar, which Nebuchadnezzar is a long word, so this, the rest of the time I will probably refer to him as Nebi, just for short. Um, <laughs> the background of that is I had a, a youth pastor who had a cat who ate grass, and uh, so he named him Nebi because there's a story in Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar makes, you know, he becomes like a beast and he eats grass, and so that's kind of where... So we're going to refer to him as Nebi, just because that's cute, um, and... Uh, so, but uh, so so Nebi and uh, his forces of Babylon come in and they overtake Judah, um, and they exile everybody out of their comfort zone, exile everybody into Babylon, into the kind of the Babylonian culture. Where Dan, well, Daniel, um, Nebuchadnezzar had this idea of, uh, I want the best and brightest from from Judah. I want the 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 noble blood. I want um, basically people. Men, noble young men that can come and they can serve the king's court. They can come and serve me and uh, kind of be immersed in this Babylonian culture. I will teach them everything that I know. I will teach them um, Babylonian mythology. I will teach them um, all our religions. I will teach them everything that they have. And I'm going to just pretty much inundate them with all this Babylonian, Babylonian culture. So, so Daniel happened to be one of those noble, um, noble men. So if we're going to start off in Daniel 1, and this is kind of just to give you an idea of, of kind of who Daniel was. Um, and we're, in verses 3 and 4, um, it kind of just uh, describes kind of this thing that I just talked about. It says, Then the king ordered Aspenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some, some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the the Chaldeans. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. That that pretty much describes yourself, right? (laughs) I mean, showing intelligence, good-looking, I mean, hello, mirror. Um, but no, but, uh, so, so Daniel and his friends were, I mean, they were studs. I mean, that's the only way, I mean, in all our culture, that's the only way to describe them. These guys are studs. They're the best of the best. Um, and so, so, um, Nebi takes these guys and they teaches them everything about his culture. He teaches them language, he teaches them, um, all the wisdom of, of this, of this thing. And, and, uh, and another part of that, um, he wanted, he wanted Daniel and his friends to be dependent. Um, on the Babylonians, um, as as is with most conquerors of the world, um, they think that their reign is going to last forever. You know, Nebi had it in this in his mind that he was going to take over the world and literally rule the world for the rest of his life. Um, that is what he had in his mind. So he was like, you know, I, I might as well take these good-looking men. I might as well take these the, these wise men and train them so that they can fit into my culture and they can serve me, the king, the ultimate conqueror, the, the ruler of the world. 
Um, so that's what ne- uh, Nebi has in his um, has in his mind, and uh, so he wanted these these guys to be totally dependent on him. Um, so um, we go down to um, verses eight and through sixteen, and and we see um, the first choice that Daniel really has to make. The first obstacle that he's he's really faced with um, a part of this being kind of inundated in the culture was nebi wanted him to um, these guys to only eat of the food that they had for him um, he they only wanted him to eat the choice foods the rural foods to be de- completely dependent on the babylonian culture um, so so this obviously in the jewish heritage this would uh come kind of in combat with what they've been doing all their lives um, the foods that they ate were different from from what Daniel was used to. And so in verse 8, we kind of start picking up the story. And, he, and uh, I love this. It said, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So I love that, that Daniel had already made up his mind. He said, you know, this is my first choice. This is my first um, really decision that I have to make. I've made up my mind. I am, I am not going to eat this food. I'm not going to defile myself before my God. Because Daniel's faith was real. His, his uh, trust in God was real enough that where he said, you know, this will defile me and in turn will defile my God. So I'm making up my mind. I'm not going to do it. Um, so as we read on, um, so, so God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the use of your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. So this official's worried because, you know, he's thinking that, you know, because Daniel wants just vegetables and water, you know, as probably all of your kids want, right? Like, Mom, I really don't want to eat that steak and that pizza. You know, I just want vegetables and water. I'm sure you hear that all the time. So this is like a broken record to you. I'm sorry. But uh, but so Daniel's like, you know, I, I just want to eat these things. And, and this official's scared because he's like, if you just eat those things, you are going to be puny. You're going to be, the word says here, haggard. You, you know, you're just going to, you're going to look sick. And all these guys, you know, with you are going to be beefed up. They're going to be on protein shakes and wine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but, you know, he's, he, he's like, you're, you're going to be there. The king's going to notice, and it's going to be my head that he takes because I was supposed to, to, to make you eat these foods, these choice foods. Um, so, uh, so he's scared. So going down, um, but Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials has appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days and let us drink or be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the use who are eating the king's choice food and with your servants according to what you see. Um, so, so Daniel explains, you know, I'm going to eat these things and I, I guarantee you that I will not look um, haggard. I will not look any different from these other guys. Um, so this is really the first test that, that Daniel comes across. Um, and uh, I love it because, you know, number one, it said, he says, you know, Daniel had already made up his mind. And uh, kind of my first, first point from um, Daniel and his friends is, um, you know, he didn't compromise. Daniel did not compromise at all. Um, 
he was faced with this decision, this this choice, and uh, his faith was was real enough to him um, that he didn't want to compromise that. He knew God was going to provide. He knew God was going to. Um, God obviously let him have favor with this official because um, this guy could have said, "No, you know, <laughs> I'm not getting my head chopped off for you and your friends," you know. But he he found favor. He gave um, Daniel favor in this, and, and then he didn't compromise. He had already made up his mind. Um, and I'm sorry for just ahead of time for the way we're gonna, because we're going through almost four chapters of Daniel, so we're gonna be on a whirlwind. So I hope y'all are ready. Um, hope y'all's fingers are stretched out and everything. Um, so, so so that's kind of the first point. You know, Daniel in this culture he did not compromise. Um, he was thrown into something new, a, a situation. And uh, he, he didn't compromise his faith. Um, so now we're going to flip over to, to, to Daniel 2. And uh, so this is further down the story. And, and uh, Daniel has, at the end of, of, of you know, his time in chapter 1, Daniel has found favor um, in this king's eyes. Um, he has moved up in the ranks, so to speak. So um, he has seen, he has tested himself and proved himself to be one of the best of the best. And uh, so in cha- chapter 2, Nebi um, has this dream, this crazy dream that he can't figure out. He can't, um, he can't understand it. I mean, it has these r- crazy things that he's, uh, he, uh, he's like, you know, what does this mean? So, so Nebi finds it and he's like, okay, I've got all the wise men and all these magicians. I've got all these people that could figure out this dream for me, you know. And so, um, so he goes to them and he's like, you know, Guys, will you interpret this dream? And and they're like, Oh yes, Lord, you're the King of Kings. Maybe your may your throne endure forever. And he's like, I don't think you're getting me. <laughs> I I want you to interpret the dream. And if it if it comes out to not be true, if you're just telling me what I want to hear, it's gonna be your head. I'm gonna I'm gonna basically cut off your head. Seems to be a theme going on in Daniel. Um, but so these these uh these wise men all of a sudden they they kind of retract and they're like, Oh. You know, it's hard to interpret these dreams. You know, there's lots of stuff that goes into it. So they kind of regress a little bit. And so, uh, so the, and none of them can. So, so, so Nebi gets kind of mad. And, you know, he says, you know, if someone cannot interpret my dream, if someone cannot do this, then um, I'm going to just destroy everybody. I'm going to kill all my wise men. I'm going to kill all my, my um, sorcerers, my magicians, everything. I'm just going to. Just gonna wipe y'all out because y'all are worthless. So Daniel, um, being of noble character that he is, he hears about this, um, and uh, so he's—I mean, obviously he's in that realm, um, and he doesn't want to die, and he doesn't want his friends to die. Um, so uh, in verse, um, I guess, 17, we pick up 2:17. We pick up, and he he runs to his friend's house, and and uh, it says, then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, so that they might request compassion from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Um, so the first thing upon hearing about this, um, that he, he might be destroyed, Daniel runs to his friend's house. He runs over there and he's like, "Man, we guys, we've we we've got to do something about this." Um, you know, some people in our culture would be like, "Yeah, let's kill them first." You know, like 
let's go grab our shovel and go get him. Um, I don't even know if they had shovels. Probably didn't. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, the, the first reaction would be something drastic. They'd either, you know, run or hide or something. But I love how Daniel reacts. He's like, okay, guys, we really need to sit down. We need to seek the face of God and, and, and ask for compassion. Um, so, so kind of my second point is that Daniel and his friends, they prayed, simply. They prayed. Um, such a such an easy concept that he was like, okay, um, you know, in all the, the stress of the moment and, and everything that was going on, Daniel saw it fit to stop and, and seek compassion from his Lord, to seek guidance from his Lord. Uh, and uh, the rest of the story goes that, that he, um, he, God granted him that compassion. Daniel wasn't a prophet before this time. He wasn't a um, anything, you know, he was good-looking and charming and, and wise and, and, and one of the best of the best, but he had never had the gift of prophecy up until this point. Um, and so as he, as he sought out the face of God and he prayed, um, God granted him this gift. So that night, um, God comes and he, and he reveals this dream um, you know, because Daniel's like, you've got to reveal this dream to me so I can interpret it so, um, so that my friends won't be destroyed and I won't be destroyed. So God comes to him that night in a dream and, and he, he reveals this dream to him. He, uh, he reveals that um, the, what Nebi was looking for. So, um, so we pick it up in, in verses 27 through 29. And this is when Daniel actually meets with Nebi and he's like, Nebi, don't take any drastic measures. Don't kill anybody. I want, I want to tell you your dream. I, I, the, God has come to me in a, dream, in a dream, and he has interpreted it. So in 27, we pick up, and uh, it says, Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it in the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to, to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. Um, so I love this, that, that Daniel, even in the midst of him trying to save himself, even in the midst of, of him um, on the brink of being destroyed and his friends being destroyed, he says, you know what, King? Um, you've, you've, got, you've been revealed by a God, my God, um, who controls everything. And uh, he has revealed this to you. It's, it's, it's by his grace that he has revealed this to you. It's by his wisdom that he has revealed this to you. Um, so even in the midst of all, of all the craziness, you know, Daniel could have came up there and said, well, guess what? All your wise men, all your magicians, all your conjurers, everything, they could not interpret this dream. But guess who can? Me, Daniel. You know, he could have done that. He could have taken the credit for this, probably moved up even further into the ranks. But, but what he did was say, you know, Nebi, probably didn't say it like that you wouldn't say that to a king that's threatening to chop off your head. Um, but, you know, he was just like, this is God who did this. God has come to you and revealed what will happen in the latter days. 
And then he came to me in a dream, and he, he has revealed to me the mysteries of what will happen. And, and I'm here to, to tell you what's going on. So um, the next thing that Daniel and his friends do is they proclaimed. They proclaimed God every chance that they got. He could have promoted himself. He could have taken the credit for this, and he could have said, this was all me. This was, this was mine. But, but instead, he, he proclaimed God. He proclaimed the truth. He proclaimed um, what he was passionate about. So, uh, so as we move on through the story of Daniel and his friends, um, the next thing we come to is, is one, of, one of the most known um, kind, of, kind of stories in Daniel. Um, and so Nebi, um, on this power trip, as most kings are, as most world conquerors are, he, uh, he sets up these golden images for himself. He's, he's going in and he's like, you know, he, he did have some peer pressure. He was like, you know, you should, you're the king. You deserve to be worshipped. And um, so he sets up these golden images for himself. And um, basically he, he sets a decree. Whenever you hear this music, whenever you hear this gong and this, um, all these trumpets and everything, no matter what you're doing, where you are, um, when you hear this big sound, when you hear this music, um, you are to bow down and you are to worship my golden images. Um, and obviously you can see how that, why that would be a problem for Daniel and his friends. If they are worshipers of a true God who so far has, has gave them favor uh, in for, before the king and, and has um, interpreted this dream, you know, they, they serve this God who is so much better and who is real, who comes to them. And uh, and all of a sudden they're they're uh, they're called to worship this golden image. I mean, it'd be like me saying, "All right, now when I speak, I want everybody to kneel down and worship this water bottle." <laughs> you know, like that's the same thing. They they come. You know, this golden image means nothing to them. This golden image is just a basically you know a, an object that uh, that it doesn't have any true power. So Nebi makes this decree, and he's like, "Okay." Whoever doesn't do this will be thrown into a fiery furnace, will be thrown into a burning furnace, um, and will basically burn to death. Um, we really need to get counseling for Nebby. Babe, can you do that? She's a counseling major, so um, we'll work that out, schedule it. Um, but, but, I mean, he, he said, okay, whoever does not, whoever does not worship this golden image that I have set up will be thrown into a fiery furnace and will basically burn to death. Um, so we see, and this one's actually with, uh, with Daniel's friends. Um, that's why it's called Daniel and Friends. So, um, but, but, so, sorry. Um, I just got that. Just kidding. Uh, so in, in chapter 3 is where we are now. In uh, verses 14 through 18, um, it has been, you know, he, has, he has set up this decree, and, and whenever the, the gong sound and the trumpet sounded and all this music played, um, people noticed that, now their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. Um, the Nebi renamed them to, to fit Babylonian culture again. So, so they saw that they didn't lean down. They didn't bow down and worship these golden images. So um, as there are in every story, there's some tattletales that go and tell Nebi, and like, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do? He's like, well, I'm going to do what I said I want to do is, and throw them into a fiery furnace, right? I'm going to do what I said as king, and I'm going to burn them to death. Um, so in 14, we, we cut, cut down, and, and uh, this is kind of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's answer. Um, 
And they say, uh, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, whatever that cool word is, and bagpipe, and all the kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace, the blazing fire of what God is there. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Let's just hold on to that. I love how they said that. Maybe it's my own (laughs) interpretation of the scriptures, but O Nebuchadnezzar. You know, it kind of makes me think of... uh, um, the tricks rabbit, you know, silly rabbit. <laughs> tricks are for kids, you know. That's what, just what I think about when I read this. I'm sorry, but you know, just it's, it's funny that they were like, um, they just felt sorry for this guy. You, you know, like honestly, I I really do feel like they were like, do you not know that we have this God who is so powerful and who interacts, who who comes into our lives and 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 fights for us. He he. He interprets dreams. He gives us favor. We can pray to him. He's real. Um, and you have a golden image. Oh, Nebby. Oh, Nebby. Tricks are for kids. Not really. <laughs> but, okay, let's move on. Sorry for that ADD moment. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, then we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Man, how powerful is that? <laughs> they have so much trust in their God that they're like, you know what? You can do whatever you want. We are not going to worship your God. Because, number one, God will, God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't you know, see it fit that to deliver us, we're still not going to compromise our faith. We're still not going to worship your golden image because we have a God who, who, who we love. We have faith in him. We have trust in him. And that's kind of the next point. Daniel and his friends, they, they just trusted. They trusted God. Um, I don't know. I, I can honestly say if you had a fiery furnace sitting right there on that stage and, and Mike came up and was like, all right, dude, here's the deal. If you don't get down and worship this water bottle that's on the floor now, um, I'm going to throw you into that fiery furnace. I mean, they had, they had the fiery furnace sitting right there. And, and they're talking to Nebi, and they're just like, Oh, Nebi, do you not know that our God will deliver us? And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your golden idol, your golden image. And what a challenge to us. <laughs> I mean, I honestly, just by show of hands, how many have been threatened to be thrown into a fiery furnace? Anybody? No? Okay. I didn't think so. I, mean, I don't know what goes on in northwest Arkansas. I haven't been here. But, uh, but you know, we've, we don't face things like this. You know, we, we don't have a fiery furnace sitting right next to us. And like, hey, you know, you, you're going to be thrown into that if you, if you, uh, if you don't worship our God. Um, so so Nebi and his friends trusted. Man, what a, what a testimony to their faith. So this is our last story. We're, we're jumping over to chapter 6. And uh, this is kind of, you know, Sunday school story. Everybody knows this. You know, Daniel in the lion's den. Um, God shut the, the lion's mouth. We sing songs about it. We do stories about it. Um, 
But it's just funny to me that we do those things because this is an intense story. I mean, we're talking lions, like flesh-eating lions that are trapped in this cave um, for this very reason. And uh, so, so now Daniel's under a new king. He's uh, uh, the, the, the Medes and the Persians have kind of taken over the, the kingdom. Um, so um, he's under a new king, and, and he's, he's found favor again. Somehow he has worked his ways up, and he is one of the three. There's three rulers kind of over the kingdom. And, and Daniel's worked his way up into the, into the, the top part. And uh, so, so this new king, um, along with peer pressure, these, these guys were jealous of Daniel's power. Why is this Judean, why is this Israelite in our kingdom, uh, why does he have so much power? Why is he trusted with so much? So they set up this plot. They, they make the king sign this thing that says basically um, that if they um, make any decrees to any other god, if they, if they try to worship any other god but King Darius is who now, who now is on the throne, uh, that they will be thrown into a lion's den, that they will be ripped from limb to limb. Yeah, sounds like a children's story I want to tell. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, so they had this decree, and, and uh, you know, Daniel, knowing about this, he, he still didn't, as we saw earlier, he still didn't compromise his faith. He trusted in God. So, so Daniel, even knowing this, goes up to his room one night, and he does what he normally does. He prays to his God. He, he gets down. He prays three times a day. He opens his windows to Jerusalem, his holy city, and he prays to God. Um, there the pray, prayer thing comes back into, into play. So he, even knowing that he will be thrown into a, a den of lions, even knowing that he will be ripped from limb to limb, he says, it is more important for me to talk to my God, to interact to my God than, than anything. So, so again, we see this, this prowess, this faith that Daniel had. Um, and I, I want to hit on one, one key thing. We're going to look just at a couple verses. In verse 16, so after, after uh, Darius has heard about this, he, uh, he, he comes to Daniel and uh, he's pleading with him. And he said, and the king gave orders and Daniel was brought, in the cast into the, uh, brought in and cast in the dens of lions. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will, will himself deliver you. So, so I love that, that even the king knew that, that Daniel served this king, this God, who, who will deliver him. He was like, you know, surely, surely your God, who you constantly serve, who you constantly talk about, who you're even willing to get down and pray to, even though I have threatened this with you, will surely deliver you. And then back down to, to 19, go down to 19. So then the king arose at dawn. So he's kind of toiled over this all night. King arose at dawn and at the break of day and went to the haste of the lion's den. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lion's? And how great is it that a king who knows nothing about this God, who, who has all these golden images and all these things, and he knows nothing about Daniel's God, but he still knows that Daniel serves this living God. How cool is that? That Daniel's faith was, was so real, that was so great, that, that he served this, this living God. And he, he's like, Daniel, has your, has your God, whom you serve continually, delivered you? Um, and that's kind of my last point. Daniel and his friends, 
they had a reputation. They had a reputation that even a king who is oblivious to the religion, who is oblivious to God, can notice that, that they, they serve this God, this living God. And how cool is that, that, that even in the midst of all this, this king who knows nothing about, knows that their reputation, their faith is in a God who is living and their faith is real. Um, and I think that's a challenge to us all. If we look at these four points, um, go ahead and throw them up. If we look at these four points, I think it's something that we can all kind of live our lives by, right? That we can, we can, we can know that we need to, um, to pray. We, we, we know that we need to not compromise our faith. We know that we need to pray. We know that we need to proclaim the truth of God. And we can trust in God because He will deliver us. And hopefully, after all those things, that, that we have a reputation that shows off our living God. Now, as I talked about earlier, those, those, uh, these students that are going off into this, this, uh, this newfound freedom, um, this, this newfound, may it be a, a Babylon of sorts, as they go on and as you go into the Babylons of your work, where you're thrust into this world that is not safe little Grace Point Church, it's not safe little body life group, it's, it's something that, you know, that will try to get you to form into the world. It will try to get you to form into things that, you're not, um, that is not surrounding God. Um, how great of a testimony would it be that you have a reputation that people at your schools, that people at your work, they know that your reputation, that your faith is in Christ. The only thing, the only way that this is possible for Daniel and his friends to do these things, the only reason that they can do this is because their faith is real. Their faith is, is so real to them, and they know that God is better than anything that the Babylonians had to offer. God's love, God's, um, the way he delivers us is so much better than anything that they could ever be faced with. And that's the reputation that we all want. Um, so I, I pray that y'all have those. I pray that, that we as a church can be about those, those four things and that we can have a reputation that is in Christ. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God,